out there in podcast land, this is the From Our Movie Reviews podcast, the podcast for people who actually like movies. And we are back with our second episode of Beyond the Mouse. We haven't gotten sued yet. No, not yet. We, uh, <laughs> no one's come forward to say that we can't use that name. Who was the guy who, who was the, what was the company that gave us our first YouTube strike? Uh, was that uh, Fox or yeah, was it, it was, Disney? It was, no, it was Universal. Wasn't Universal, it? that's correct. So, uh, yeah. Disney's playing playing nice ball with us, but Universal, you guys suck, man. <laughs> it might have been Fox. I don't know. It was one of, no, it was Fox. It was. Scott's cursing at his uh, phone. Oh, yeah, right yeah, now. yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Because Scott's the one that had to deal with that. So, Ugh. anyway, but we uh, didn't get. There was a travel agency out there that we're not related to. Also exactly. called Beyond the Mouse. There you go. Um, they <laughs> apparently don't know we exist. Maybe we should get them to sponsor this show. I mean, like it would make sense, <laughs> yeah, right? Like, absolutely. We'll just send them a letter. They like, can, please be, send us money <laughs> and don't sue our, us. <laughs> right? They could be our sponsors for this particular show. So this is the show that's all about Disney, and I'm really excited to uh, be joined by two newcomers to this show yeah. since it's brand new on second episode. Uh, to my right, I have the lovely... Anna McFarland. Is that me? <laughs> yeah. Hi. Yeah. Hi, it's Anna. I, was trying to kill you. I thought that was me, Craig. Oh, yeah, on, I, I, I wasn't sure. I didn't know where you are going with that. Um, Anna let us record at my house. Uh, my house, stairs. too. Yeah, yeah remember, let's keep that in mind. Really, yeah. it's just her. <laughs> <laughs> upstairs sleeping, so uh, if she runs out halfway through, or if I run out, you might send me if you're really yeah, talking. Probably would, yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> then you know why. And to my left, the illustrious and lovely. Oh, yes. You are lovely. <laughs> I was about to say, I better get that too. Editor-in-chief <laughs> of the front row of your views. Jeremy Geckner, what's up, guys? I'm back. I've uh, been gone for a little while. Been uh, in that Muni hole. Yeah, I've been doing the uh, the Springfield Muni. I just wrapped the run of Nice Work If You Can Get It. I uh, got some great reviews. Uh, it was a really fun run. And uh, yeah, I'm just uh, I'm excited to be done, though, so we can uh, keep casting those pods. That's Absolutely. <laughs> so a little note on that. Uh, you, you might have noticed that we haven't put out a news episode in a couple of weeks. We are going to be changing that. It's just this summer when it's uh, we're so busy and different things happening in our lives. We just haven't been able to get it out as consistently as maybe we uh, will coming up in the future. So thank you for the continued support while we're wrapping up our summers. And thank you for checking out this podcast. It's going to be all about all things Disney. And I get to kind of cheat with that because, uh, you know, obviously we're a movie review podcast. But that doesn't mean that I don't love me some Walt Disney World and Disney Some Land. park stuff, yeah. So uh, we'll talk about any facet of Disney that I want to talk about because... That's right. It's I your show, decide. man. I am the decider. <laughs> that is right. Exactly. Uh, so what we're going to be talking about today is a little bit of news, and then we're actually going to go into a Disney spotlight with the recent release of Finding Dory, talk a little bit about that, and then wrap up the show with a classic Disney Rewind. And we're going to be talking about going under the sea uh, with Ariel and friends. <laughs> Yay. Yay. Which actually some news came out about the live action movie exactly. today. So we'll even talk about be that. talking about that. Very exciting news. Always <laughs> news around Disney. But before we start, uh, last episode, and thank you again for a great response. It was fantastic to... Uh, be able to hear from everybody that really enjoyed the podcast. Uh, I did mention a couple of Disney podcasts that I really enjoyed. And then right as we were getting ready to record that, uh, Tim had turned me on to another podcast, the Disney cast, called Two Men and the Mouse with Kevin Kessler and Peter Mandel. And so I would absolutely suggest that everyone go out and download that. And actually, uh, we're working to try to have uh, Kevin or Peter on the podcast in the near future. Oh, that's so cool. It'll be kind of fun. (laughs) They're specifically more in the Walt Disney realm, but they talk about uh, a lot of news that, of course, feeds into the movies and everything else. So I definitely check out Two Men and the Mouse. Uh, They do a weekly show because they're not crazy and they don't try to put out two shows a week. (laughs) Uh, they don't have the stomach for this podcasting <laughs> business. So, uh, we're going to dive right into the news, and I don't think we have any cool drops. Not yet, but we, we'll, we'll create some. Oh, we'll, we'll, we'll some get drops some going. Yeah. Production. It's, uh, Disney News! That's the drop. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't let that be the drop. Disney is developing a Rocketeer sequel called mm-hmm. The Rocketeers. Currently in the early stage, and this comes from IGN, uh, currently in the early stages of development, a reboot titled The Rocketeers, coming from The Hollywood Reporter. They're the first ones to break the story. The Rocketeers is set 
six years after the original film and sees a new pilot take on the role of the Rocketeer after our original hero, Cliff Secord, went missing during a bout with the Nazis. No! According to the report, the new film will feature a black female lead in a movie that sees the new Rocketeer set out to stop an ambitious and corrupt rocket scientist from stealing jetpack technology and what could prove to be the turning point of the Cold War. Who was trying to steal rocket packs? How (laughs) incredibly exciting is this news, right? So we just did our flashback not too long ago on On the Rocketeer. Rocketeer, We talked about how much we love this movie, and this news is just so exciting for excited. Exciting for me, and I can't wait to talk about it. But uh, Anna, why don't you give your opinion first? Well, when is it set to come out? Did it, it say it's just in development, so they okay. have no idea. Is but it live? Best guess, uh, maybe two, three years. Are we looking at live action yeah. cartoon? Yeah, yeah live definitely action. live action. I okay, so I watched The Rocketeer because Craig made me, and, and that usually doesn't go over very well with me because I want to dislike it just because he's making me do something. Of course, of course. Um, but I actually did really enjoy it, and I thought, I mean, that's like the time period that I really like to watch movies about, so that's I really right. enjoyed that. Yeah. Um, so I'm really interested, especially if it's like six years after the original. It's still pretty close to that time period. I'm, I think it'll be good. They haven't done anything with Rocketeer for a long time, so I'm looking forward to seeing it. Oh, yeah. I think Rocketeer was just ahead of its time. You know, uh-huh. it uh, didn't end up making a ton of money at the box office, but it's one of those nostalgia films that everybody our age uh, really enjoys and goes back. They did such a great job of adapting. Dave Stevens was the uh, author of the original graphic novels back in the 80s. They did such a good job of adapting that to the screen, obviously making some changes. For instance, Jennifer Connelly's character in the graphic novel is actually named Betty Page. Betty Page, yes. (laughs) Couldn't get away with that. No. No, I don't think so. So, you know, it... I think it'll be so cool to see where this story progresses uh, because we're now looking at the Cold War, bringing in mm-hmm. a, a diverse rocketeer. She'll be like the Tuskegee Airmen of the Rocketeers. Yeah, right? that sounds, sounds pretty cool. And what's really pumps, it makes me pumped about this, is that it's called the Rocketeers, which mm-hmm. means we will probably at some point see Cliff Secord again. I, I don't mean, think it'll be Billy Campbell. <laughs> hey, hey, what else is he doing right now? All right. He's. he's <laughs> So this takes place six years after. Billy okay. Campbell has been through a lot of life. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> All right, years. Nazi experiments, man. They can de-age you or age you faster. I don't know. But no, like, you're right. Like, this is so exciting because I think The Rocketeer is one of those movies that works better when you grew up with it. Um, obviously not for you, though. That's really encouraging yeah. for you, though. But, but like, you never saw it. I knew nothing about it until, see, like... Yeah. So it's just like one of those two things. years ago. I yeah. remember watching this so early on, and it was it was just so cool. Like just the idea of the rocket pack, and uh, Billy Campbell hasn't done a lot in his uh, you know, and he's still working. He hasn't done a lot in his career, but you know, this was one of those parts where he just so perfectly fit. I mean, even the name mm-hmm. Cliff Secord, and he had that just swoopy straight hair that's impossible for any man ever. <laughs> and it's like. The movie just works as a great action thing, of course, directed by Joe Johnston, who's done a lot of great action movies. But you're right, like the thought of multiple Rocketeers and, you know, using a diverse cast with a a black female lead, like that sounds very exciting, opens up a lot of possibilities because there are a ton of great black female action uh, actors working right now. I'm pretty sure Black Panther just hired all of them, but um, (laughs) Disney's just going to keep scooping them all up, I guess. But yeah, it sounds so exciting. And it sounds like, you're right, the Rocketeer really didn't get its fair shake when it first Uh came out because... I don't know why. You know, sometimes movies just don't hit. And, you know, it had everything it needed to be a big summer hit, but it just didn't didn't quite get there with the with the audiences. And now... It was ahead of its time, honestly, yeah. because if yeah. you look at all... We've got so many comic book movies coming out now. Oh, and yeah. So this really laid the groundwork as one of those... You almost don't think of it as a comic book movie. No. But, I mean, it, it totally is. It's adapted right from that uh, comic book character. And I think that now it, it will hit. And I yeah. it would be kind of cool if Joe Johnson came back, just because... He did such a great job with Captain America, the first Avenger. I mean, oh, he's, yeah. he's done so many great things since then, but um, he really grabbed that old Hollywood vibe in this movie, and that was one of the best parts of this movie. Really See, was. See, if you would have told me it's a comic, then I would have really hated it. <laughs> it wouldn't have mattered. <laughs> I didn't even know it was a comic. I uh, own that comic, so if anybody's looking for my uh, 30th birthday present. Hey, there uh, you go. Original you know. Rocketeer. But yeah. you're right, like the old Hollywood vibe was it was really great. It said what the twenties, like the or in the thirties, yeah, early thirties, forties. It was, 40s. It was oh, during, it was during the forties. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I was getting the thirties vibe. 
for some too. reason. Yeah, so Nazism was like, was like very much like we were already in the war. Because oh, okay. this is taking place six years after, and it's already the Cold War. So we're talking. Right, know, so maybe probably yeah, that 44. So they, maybe they like, yeah, 40, 44. It's just, it's not if it's going to say, I think it said the 1950s somewhere in this report. So right. yeah, like that yeah. would be right, right in there. there. It's going to be very interesting too also with the dynamic of a African-American actress there with, you know, civil rights weren't quite caught up to everybody in the 1950s. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Very interesting to see if Disney wants to dive into those waters a little bit too. You know, just maybe putting some of that forth there. That makes me very excited too. But yeah, this movie sounds cool. I like you. I really hope we get to see Cliff in this movie again. I don't know if it's going to be Billy Campbell. I know he's not doing much right now, so maybe uh, you know it would be really fun if they could. Uh, maybe they could use that de aging technology, like uh, like Captain America: Civil War. Yeah. <laughs> give me give me so much Rocketeers. I mean, I am I am all about it. Give me a give me four more sequels. <laughs> give me Billy Campbell doing the voiceover on an animated series. Give me whatever you can. I love the Rocketeer. I have since I. I was a kid and uh actually um little trivia you can go see some great rocketeer memorabilia inside the sci-fi dine-in at walt disney world there so, you uh, go next time you go check it out uh they've got the rocketeer newspaper and they also <laughs> have the helmet in there oh, so cool i will so steal that helmet someday that's the only reason Anna <laughs> likes to go there yeah it's right. true <laughs> Doesn't like the place at all, except for no, that. nothing else. <laughs> so let's move on to a new Disney film that is coming out, confirmed. It's already wrapped and uh, it's ready to go. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Moana, and yes. uh, Moana had a Olympic TV spot, and that's in particular what we're checking out. So we got this from Entertainment Weekly. You can go to YouTube and search for the Walt Disney Animated Studios, and uh, you'll see the Olympic TV spot there. Go check it out. Come right back, and we'll be here to discuss. Discuss it, but I'd like to first give you a brief synopsis on Moana, and the main character will be Moana, a sea voyaging enthusiast and the only daughter of a chief in a long time line of navigators. When her family needs her help, she sets off on an epic journey. The film also includes demigods and spirits taken from real mythology, including Maui who is voiced by Dwayne The Rock Johnson. The Rock says, so I'm a demigod. That's your, that's your drawing <laughs> to this movie. Um, but, Jeremy, what's your thoughts on the TV spot? You just saw it for the first time. Yeah, a just, just a few minutes ago. Uh, the, the teaser trailer for this movie was incredible. And I got to tell you, like, the Olympic spot really builds on that a lot. And, you know, the only complaint I had about the original teaser trailer is that we didn't really get a lot of story. But, hey, it's a teaser trailer. It's not supposed to give things away. This one, for being about the same length, it does give us a lot more of the story. And I'm getting the sense from the trailer that Moana is not just a girl or a princess from an island. That she actually has some supernatural powers of her own. Because we see a, a spot where uh, Maui throws her off a raft for like the tenth time. And, you know, all of a sudden we see some water like push her back up onto the raft itself. So it looks very cool. It looks like there's going to be a lot of magic. There's going to be a lot of really cool fantastical elements. Um, but yeah, the, uh, the, the rock is the draw. Like I, I have always had this intense love of the rock, uh, ever since his wrestling days, I was huge into the WWE when, when he was first getting started. And I think he's really made a great transition into a bona fide movie star. And it sounds like he's going to get to do a lot of comedy in this, which I think is going to be really, really fun. And honestly, when I hear him talk as Maui, I'm just like, yeah, that's it. Like that, that looks really, really good. A great match. So uh, this tra this trailer is great, and I cannot wait for this movie. Yeah, and uh, what's cool about The Rock's involvement is uh, during the uh, D23 last year, he actually came into D23 and yeah. really livened <laughs> up that crowd. Everybody that was there As only The uh, Rock just can. had a fantastic time, and he got the entire crowd pumped up. And so you can tell that this isn't just like a blow-off movie for mm -hmm. him. You know, this isn't just... Uh, an action star, former wrestler, just saying he wants to collect a paycheck. No. I think that he's really invested in this. He seems like he's invested in well, most of his. Well, and projects. don't forget, like this is all this Pacific Islander culture. He is a Samoan man, like, and right. he, he's very into it. Ever since his wrestling days, he has really been about his Samoan heritage. So well, yeah, we're gonna this get is... to a slight bit of controversy with that. Yes, but, we will. Uh, why don't we go to Anna first? Yeah, I really enjoyed the trailer. Um, I think that it's like the. I don't know if they've done any other South Pacific type area shows since This is the first, Stitch. uh, this is Lilo and Stitch. Lilo and Stitch is probably the only one that I can remember. Yeah, yeah. so I'm excited for that setting and to see, um, especially the mythology. It looks like they have some really neat tie-ins and 
um, just kind of magic along that that realm. And I'm really excited for it, and especially since it probably ties into Alani a little bit. Uh, so I'm sure that they'll – Alani would be the, the um, Hawaiian island resort owned by Disney. So I'm mm-hmm. sure that they will incorporate this film into there somewhere. I think that the Disney's pretty good about doing this, stuff like that. We watch this, and then Anna goes, it's just a commercial for Alani. <laughs> Probably you know, is. But I mean, <laughs> it looks like paradise on earth. So. I mean, I mean, they haven't said anything like that, but I would just have to think it's a pretty good tie. But mm-hmm. anyway, I'm really excited to see the film. It looks I mean, really good. I mean, can't you see the water live action show in the Animal Kingdom Park? I mean, I'm just saying. Well, like, yeah. The <laughs> water spouting up all over. Like, yeah. And like the projectors, Absolutely. you can do all the mythology yeah, stuff. I mean, it's, there's dude. a lot of opportunities with this one. Yeah. So before we get into the bit of controversy that this film has already found itself in, uh, we'll talk a little bit about those tattoos. Because those tattoos look really cool. That so, looks like look, the coolest part of this movie, man, so far. incredible how far animation has come. And Walt Disney Animated Studios are just knocking it out of the park. For those of you that don't know, um, Disney Pixar is kind of one separate wing. Uh, and then Walt Disney Animated Studios is another. Uh, Disney Animated Studios have brought you such films as Frozen, uh, recently Zootopia, Wreck-It Ralph, um, and I'm missing one. Oh, Big Hero 6. Big Hero 6, uh-huh. yeah. Uh, Tangled. Yeah. Tangled was kind of their first. Yeah, that was kind of their first, like, foray into comeback. the Pixar style, but, like, right. you know, on their own. Sure. Um, and then Disney Pixar, of course, do the movies that we come to love, like the movie we're talking about in our spotlight, Finding Dory, Finding Nemo, uh, Toy Story, all those. But uh, Walt Disney Animated Studios have just been crushing it these last couple of years. They've done such a great job bringing out so many fantastic uh, films that I can't imagine that this would be anything different. And the amount of intricate animation that goes into this is just incredible to me. Yeah, like the tattoos just look like such a cool story device. Like, especially from that first teaser kind where you think, Hercules a little a bit. A little like bit, that. yeah. yeah like the that, animation it does, there. exactly. And, but it's like they're telling the story of Maui mm-hmm. and like, you know, it's constantly like showing his emotions. It's really cool. And it's like a little bit too of the lava short that we saw. Um, it has a little bit of that feel to it too. If you've seen, yeah, Lava. a little bit. Yeah, I can I can see that a bit. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like it, it's just it looks so cool, and it looks like something very different from what Disney's done in the past. And of course, we've gotten this far. And we haven't even mentioned music by Lin Manuel Miranda. Oh, no I kidding, mean, right? Who just won a Pulitzer Prize and a Tony for Hamilton? Like it, Disney's really good about they scooping these guys him, up, yeah, man. They've and got him scooped up pretty hard. Yes, too. they do. He's involved in at least three Disney projects. And that's hey, days, man, so that's it. That is incredible. smart, smart. The man is so talented. Lock him up forever. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about the controversy. Just address it quickly and then move on from it. But uh, critics are calling out Disney for fat shaming Polynesians with the Moana character Maui. Really? So they're saying mm-hmm. that uh, the Rock's character in this is too fat. <laughs> Well, less, less we say, ever have mm-hmm. an overweight character in any movie, Craig. Exactly. Right? <laughs> so it's almost like these people, they... I, First of all, they're saying that like this is a representation of all Polynesians when standing right next to him on all these posters is actually Moana, who is this uh, female character, but she's not done in the standard Disney style where she's incredibly thin and, and no. all the things that people used to complain about saying she looks that very normal, yeah. She looks right. like a normal girl. Yeah. <laughs> right. you know? She does. So, um, so I just think Plus, this I mean, is I'm sorry, but ridiculous. We've already also established this guy is a demigod. He's not human. So, well, okay, right. he's part human part if we're human. going by definitions. But, like, th- like, this doesn't need to conform to anything. And plus, look, there are a lot of, you know larger Samoan men and Islander men that are not, you know, like they're not obese. They're not anything. It's just sometimes, sometimes that happens in life. And honestly, having a character like that, it looks like that that character is going to have a lot of power. A lot of like the story is going to be the crux of him. What the hell is the harm of trying to have a character that's a little bit larger? All right. And probably, you know what else? None of the animators were thinking of that when they made this. I guarantee you. Okay. I would imagine that there is going to be more than two characters in this movie. And I'm guessing that not all of them are going to be large Polynesian men. So I feel like they're, they're going to have a mix of spirits and demigods 
and they're going to be all different types of representations. Which and is great, and it should well, be. Plus, I mean, think People about should it. be different. Think about it practically. Right. If these tattoos are going to be as big of a story arc as we think they are, like, you can't have just a stick muscle muscle man, you know, just, like, right there. You, you need a little bit of space to actually tell mm-hmm. these stories. So, like, I mean, that's just one thing I can think of. I'm not seeing who this third person is. In this uh, yeah, infographic, see a meme here. It says, I see, uh, I see Momoa. Men in Hollywood are Polynesian. <laughs> I see but Disney's Polynesian Maui is half, uh, I, plague, I, half I, hippo. I see Jason Momoa and I see The Rock, but I don't know who the third guy I is. No, it, it looks a little bit like a Tanner <laughs> Constantine Marullis, but I don't, um, I don't, I don't yeah, know. I have no clue who that is. So whoever made that gear or that uh, that graphic there, uh, okay. Um. I don't know if I'd argue that those are the three hottest men. No, but uh, Hollywood, hey, but, you know, more power uh, to you. Whatever, different different topic for a different show, right? So that's Moana. The movie looks great. The it movie looks, great. looks fantastic. They're gonna own your Thanksgiving. Uh, Disney has done such a good job of putting these movies out at the right time. Uh, this one comes out right around Thanksgiving. It should be a great uh, cl- t- turn into a classic movie that oh, yeah. you'll be able yeah. to watch for years and years. They have not missed yet. I don't expect them to with Moana. No. Let's move on to some Disney Park news that's related to movies a little bit. The wonderful park news. There's your drop. So at San Diego Comic-Con, Kevin Feige, the president of Marvel Studios, announced ah, yeah. to a packed house of fans that Guardians of the Galaxy was coming to Disney's California Adventure. It had been a rumor for a long time mm-hmm. that the Tower of Terror at Disney's California Adventure in Disneyland, this is in the Anaheim Parks, um, that Guardians was going to be taking over that space, and it was confirmed uh, they're going to be calling it Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout. Mission Breakout. Mm. So, uh, and Benicio Del Toro is going to be in this. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I, I bet that they bring in a lot of the different actors for this. Especially, not live. Not live. You know, the, the holographic rep- representation. So it won't be any live characters. But I yeah. bet that they'll bring in all of the Guardians to be able to record oh, yeah. something just like they have at Tower of Terror now. Yeah, definitely. And, you know... It's a little sad that you have to lose something like Tower of Terror um, because it is such a, you know, take a drink, everyone, iconic part of the Disney experience. But uh, I've only been to the one in Florida, and like I said, from what I've heard, they, they make that much more of an experience of walking through the hotel, getting a little bit, and I believe it's tied in with the Twilight Zone too, right? The oh, yeah. Florida Tower of Terror. Oh, yeah. So it's been a while since I've been there. But yeah, yeah so like they tie it into a lot more stuff like that. As opposed to just getting on the ride and going up and then dropping in, at the California one. So hopefully it's there. Um, it's sad that if you have to lose that. But I'm really looking forward to the Guardians ride. It looks like it's going to be so great. It's really smart for Disney to double down on Guardians because it looks like number two is just going to be crazy awesome good and a big hit. Uh, if you believe the Hall H presentation that they did this year. So uh, I want, I'm definitely going to go out to California to, to see this ride. And like maybe Star Wars will be open by then. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Anna, I well, bet you have a different opinion. Yeah, I have not been on the Disneyland Tower of Terror, so I, I don't know how it's different and what it looks like there. I've only been to the Disney World Tower of Terror, and I've actually never been on the elevator because I can't do elevators. No, really? But I've been on, the real, ele- I've been on the, the real elevator. But no, I love walking through and seeing um, the actual tower. That's one of my favorite things in Disney World. Oh, yeah. And then I just take the real elevator down. But um, so my thought, <laughs> I, well, they say I rode the elevator, Craig, <laughs> at Tower of Terror. I did. I did. Um, so I... Oh, I I love the Tower of Terror. I would I don't know how I feel about Guardians. I feel like Guardians was too recent to do a whole new ride for I it. That. I don't know I if it has that. staying power. If you know, ten twenty years from now, if they're gonna have Guardians still be around, but I know that Walt has always said, and you hear, I obviously don't know Walt, but I've heard that he said <laughs> that um, he always wants the park to be ever changing and evolving and moving. So I can see where this would help change and evolve Disneyland, but. Personally, I love Tower of Terror. I hope that at least they keep one somewhere. So leave it in Disney World. Yeah. Change the one in, in Disneyland. Make them different. That's fine. Just that. leave Disney World alone. Before, I just <laughs> want to ask you a question before you start. Um, is California where they're doing Star Wars land? Like they're doing that? in both. Both. Uh, in both, yeah. both of them are going to get that. But like uh, Anna was saying, Walt said that the parks are not museums. Right. And yeah. that... Um, you need to continue to advance. What's weird about this is cho- the choice of a drop ride for a Guardians ride to me is kind of odd. Um, <laughs> you know, it's just a weird choice. I kind of thought maybe like a more traditional dark ride or 
something like with uh, uh, holographics that they're advancing or whatever the case may be. And in Disneyland Tokyo, they just uh, released an incredible Iron Man ride. Oh, really? Now, the reason why yeah. we can't get those types of characters uh, in the Walt Disney World theme park, which is why maybe they haven't announced Guardians as well, is because when um, Marvel was sold to Disney, Universal Studios, the other rival theme park in, in Orlando, uh, they were down there and they already had a lot of these Marvel characters. So it was written into the agreement that Disney World could not build and take those characters okay. away. and. You know, I, I haven't read to see if this is actually confirmed. I've heard that that's into perpetuity, like that that is the case. Okay. So if you're thinking about maybe Guardians is too recent, they can't grab, at least in Orlando, they can't grab your Captain America. They can't grab the Incredible Hulk. They can't grab some of these other people. Thank so God. Maybe, <laughs> <laughs> so maybe Sorry. what they're going to do is try to incorporate some of these lesser known characters that aren't in the Universal theme parks and then that way they can continue to uh, build that Marvel brand within Disney World as well. But uh, as far as this particular ride, I am glad that you're going to be able to still go on Tower of Terror in Disney World. I think if they change that or move that, that would be a real shame. Yeah, but they're it not is. doing that. Um, and as far as the area of Epcot, they're talking about it going into that for future world area. It's really pretty sorry right now. Yeah, uh, I agree. There's not a whole lot going on over there, so why not put something right. that can get crowds in there? I think that's a great idea to put it there. Yeah. I'm okay with that. I, it's better than some of the rumors were that they were thinking about maybe adding Guardians to the uh, Magic Kingdom into Tomorrowland. No. And see, I don't like that either. Because yeah. I, I do like that that's a museum quality. I like that yeah. that's a retro vision of the future right you know? so right I, I do like tomorrowland the way it is but maybe i'm just too much of a stick in the mud so uh moving on to our last bit of park news and then we'll get into finding dory uh this also relates to the movies and this will probably break anna's heart a little bit uh, only too. a rumor folks uh, uh, but this comes to us from wdw uh, radio yeah. The rumor mill has been working overtime the past few weeks. The latest rumor to travel the internet is that once TCM's sponsorship comes up in 2018, Disney will not renew it. Instead, they will turn the great movie ride at Disney's Hollywood Studios into the great Mickey ride. Mm. It'll probably have some kind of different name in its final version, but the ride will be trackless like the Ratatouille ride in Disneyland Paris and star Mickey himself. Well, see, they've been saying for years that they don't want things that are not Disney in Disney World. And so Great Movie Ride would fit that. It's a bunch of movies that, for the most part, don't belong to Disney. And they don't have anything toward just Mickey Mouse in their own park. So I I can see where it, it needs to live there, but it really breaks my heart. Great well, movie ride is so awesome. And I mean, like, it's good <laughs> that we don't have Brandon on this episode because this would be probably the thing that gets him to go crazy like we saw him do in college time after time. Um, <laughs> had too many Cokes, did he? Oh, yes. Beating up... Uh, Coca-Cola, I should add. Beating up police <laughs> officers while shouting racial epithets. Um, no, it's... Um, we actually did convince one of our professors that that happened. Um, <laughs> That's great. Uh, no, here's the thing. It's, it's kind of sad because movies at their core, like, you know, like stuff like that, the greatest movies of all time sometimes don't ever get the correct amount of due that they they should, and that's oftentimes because, you know, people just don't want to watch them. So rides like that are important. And now I understand the point. Like you want to, you know, it's an outside entity and all of that. But like maybe at least you could do it with the Disney older live action films or exactly. something. Like but like, you know, you're keeping Singing in the Rain alive. You're keeping all these other things alive that, that, that are in that ride so that everyone can remember, oh, these are great movies that should not be forgotten. Now, you know, thanks to people like, you know, Turner Classic Movies or, uh, you know, Brandon Davis. Like, you know, these things are never going to go away completely. But, yeah, it's just like what, what's wrong with having that little bit of history right there? And honestly, what what's another Mickey Mouse ride going to do but like for the park? Like, oh, my God, another, like, oh, there's Mickey Mouse. I haven't seen him in three <laughs> seconds, you know? Like, 
it's it's a little uh, it kind of breaks my heart a little bit well and i think that the great movie ride just really fits hollywood studios because right when you walk in now it's the first thing you see when you turn and you you see the um grandma's chinese theater and so i think that it makes sense to have that ride inside of the theater because you see all those old movies and it takes you like that's the reason why you're in that park I will say, for the for the most part, I agree with both of you. However, I'm going to play a little bit of devil's advocate right. and say that um, what you what you've got now in the Great Movie Ride, they did just sign on to the TCM sponsorship. I believe it was last year. It was a three year deal, and uh, you do have a little bit of of uh, refurb with that. You've got Robert Osborne now kind of narrating the ride as you yeah. go through. But for the most part, it's a kind of a tired attraction, only because they haven't updated the movies. Sure. They haven't done enough to update the audio animatronics to make it more interactive. The, the lines are starting to die down, uh, and so maybe you won't have as many people going through that ride, you know? Yeah, I so what I will say is, what if you had a trackless ride? And, and Jeremy, you probably don't know maybe what those are, but I would encourage you I or... I assume like uh, the ones that's just in the box that moves and stuff, right? Well, it's essentially you're, you're in like a, your own little car, but then there is no track. It's all done pre-programmed. Okay. So there's an absolutely no track. Your, your car kind of goes wherever it wants to. Oh. Uh, you don't really know where it's going to go next because you can't see a track in front of you, which is nice. kind of cool. Uh, the Ratatouille ride in Disneyland Paris is that way, and I believe Mystic Manor as well is that mm-hmm. way. So yeah. go YouTube those because oh, they sure. look so cool. Um, but what I will say is what if you had this adventure of film and appreciation of animation through the character of Mickey Mouse? And so you started this ride, and this ride is all in black and white everywhere. And you're hanging out with Steamboat Willie. And then through the ride, you progress through time with Mickey, getting to stop into some of those animated classics as well. Maybe Mickey kind of shows up on the set of Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. (laughs) And everything starts to turn into a little bit of color. And then by the end of it, you're you're going through the Fantasia parts, uh, you're into more of the modern, you can kind of see the progression of animation okay. through this one character. I think that that could be really cool. I think that that could be um, a neat way to not necessarily be an ode to the movies, but an ode to the animators that were able to bring these types of characters to life that really yeah. fostered our own, our childhood. Yeah, I could see that. And plus, like, it's kind of like that uh, short that they did a few years ago before exactly. one of them, where they kept They're busting frozen, out yeah. of the movie screen. Yeah. Like, that uh-huh. was a really good uh, short. It was, it was. No, I think that's a cool idea. He's like an Imagineer now. I do. I, yeah. Because I'm, uh, I'm sold. Build it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it would be awesome to be an Imagineer, just saying. <laughs> it sounds pretty neat. So we've talked a that. lot about some of the Disney Park news and talked to you about some new Rocketeers Moana news yes. as well. So let's dive right in. I use the word dive. Oh, <laughs> Actually, it's funny because we didn't plan it to be this way, but we've got two very aquatic themes. <laughs> Actually, yeah. <laughs> uh, but let's talk about Finding Dory, this summer smash hit. I'm going to pull up on Box Office Mojo here exactly how much it's made already uh, and continues to make. But Jeremy, give me your overall impression of the follow-up to Finding Nemo. You know, this is uh, Finding Nemo is one of those, I think it doesn't get enough credit as a Pixar classic. Like I, and not in the sense that people don't think it's good, but it's just like I think it gets kind of lost in how many good films Pixar's made. And the thing about it is, is it was always one of my favorite Pixar movies because my little nephew, uh, Connor, like he would always watch that movie on loop, on loop, on loop. So I could like quote it forever. And, you know, I I can't even count how many times I had to, you know, do Crush the Turtle, like just to make him laugh a few times. He's like, just know when you know, dude. So it's just like all that. This movie I was very, very trepid about because I was like, okay, like Dory is literally one of the, I think she has the best part of Finding Nemo. And it's and it's kind of like the thing that I got with the minions from Despicable Me was like those guys are so great in those movies, but they're the side characters, and they we get very small doses of them. So I was very worried. Like, is seeing Dory's, for lack of a better word, shtick going to be tired and drawn out for an entire movie? And I could not have been more wrong because this movie is amazing. And it's like, and I'm gonna say the controversial thing because I kind of like it a little more than Finding Nemo and. The only, like, and, and the problem is, is, like, Dory herself, the way they open this movie, by starting with her childhood, and by taking us through that continually throughout the movie, 
First of all, whoever does the voice for Dor- Kid Dory is the most adorable thing of all time. I don't know what that <laughs> yeah, is, but sure. the big eyes, like Sarah was absolutely crying every time she was on screen. Um, but it's just like, you, right off the bat, they established that, okay, you remember this character that made you just laugh because, oh, you know, she keeps forgetting things. Oh, she's kind of ditzy and stuff. Now, all of a sudden, right there in the first five minutes, you're like, this is a real character. This isn't somebody who's just there to make you laugh. This is somebody who's had a tough life, and we're about to show you what it was, and that's why it's there. Just because she can't remember it and deal with it all the time doesn't matter. But the the thing that really stuck out to me, even more than that, the the side characters in this are just amazing. Headlined, I think, by Ed O'Neill um, as the octopus. I'm, I'm blanking on his name right now, but like that character is so great. All he wants to do is go and live in a, an aquarium so that nobody can bother him anymore. Um, you know, they, he just wants to be left alone and he has to trepidly, continually help Dory exp- like, go through this aquatic land, this aquatic theme park. And I'm just telling you, he was great. I love Ty Burrell um, and the other whale. I'm blanking on the actress's name there, but those two were so, so funny in this. Um, Destiny, uh, Caitlin Olsen, uh, very, very, very funny. Um, and I love, I also love that they bring back the whale talk. Like, I know, I love so that good. that came back from the first one. Uh, I've been going for a while, so I'll let you guys, but it's, it's amazing. I believe all the hype. I'll, I'll jump in again sometime soon, I'm sure, but uh, somebody else go because I'm going to keep going. Before, uh, before we let Anna go, I just uh. want to say that this movie has made. $476 million domestically, uh, right around $425 million uh, internationally so right worldwide. So $900 million dollars this That'll movie do. has made. Uh, that's more than any other Pixar film uh, has made. And I believe it might be more than that's any more other It's more than Toy Story 3. Yeah. yeah, Toy Story 3. I think Fro- Frozen is still ahead because Frozen is one of the, it's the only animated film to make a billion. Well, so, maybe that's worldwide. Yeah, yeah, worldwide, yeah. Uh, definitely domestic. domestic. Definitely yeah, the so, highest grossing domestic. Anyway, especially for a sequel. And I, you know, uh, Anna, I'll let you go, and then I'll give my impressions. <laughs> yeah, well, I, um, watching Finding Dory, it hit me right in the feels, because like Jeremy mentioned, it seems like, you know, she's just being silly, and then now we have a reason as to why she's being silly. And so we hear that backstory, and I loved hearing that backstory, because it really didn't go into oh. that very much in Finding Nemo. No. Um, so I, I loved how this was a true continuation of the first story. It's probably the best sequel that I've ever seen to a movie because that, yeah. it stands on its own. If you haven't seen Finding Nemo or if it's been forever since you've seen it, you they really do a great job of recapping what's happened without making it seem like it's hitting you over the head. Yeah, that, that opening where they go right into it. Exactly. Yeah. I loved that part. And then I loved Finding how Dory goes on her travels. And it kind of has the same message, I think, as Finding Nemo where – you know, your family is the most important and home is, it's kind of like a Wizard of Oz, you know, you know, there's no place like home. And so, um, Dory kind of battles with that as far as when she, I don't want to spoiler alert, but when she gets home, maybe it's not exactly what she thought it was at first. And then, um, we, we do have a surprise ending. So I, I loved it. I thought it, it had a lot of great little elements and a great little nuggets and throwbacks to the original film. And it still had that humor, although they didn't have the seagulls with the mine, 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 <laughs> which is my favorite. But I placed them with the, uh, with the sea lions. I love those guys. <laughs> the, <laughs> so the only negative I would have to Finding Dory is that the humor was, I think, lost on it a little bit because we knew what it was in the first movie. It was so unexpected and... Everything seemed so funny in the first one because I didn't know what was coming. So in the sequel, I knew it was coming. So it wasn't quite as funny as maybe the first one was. But I just really enjoyed it. I thought it was a great movie. Yeah, I thought it was perfect. Uh, adaptation. It perfectly blended into that world of you were right back there. And I mean, how long ago did Finding Nemo come out? 2001, was, I think. Yeah, so I mean, it, it was just incredible to be able to see uh, all of that come right back. And you feel like you're right there with the characters again. It was, I really enjoyed this movie. And I agree that uh, I really enjoyed the character of Hank, played by Ed O'Neill. Ah, oh, there it is, Hank, yeah. Hank the, uh, the Septipus. Septipus, yeah, yeah, because he lost a <laughs> Oh, yeah. Guy. And what's cool is that maybe Hank could be that character for the third movie. It's kind of like, uh-huh. so good, you know, man. like you kind of, because you, I want to know that backstory. Like, I want to know yeah. how he became a septopus and how he really wants to go to uh, be in confinement because he doesn't like the idea of going out to yeah. the open ocean. Like, that to me is really interesting. So maybe we can, like, see him uh, and maybe he could be that character that takes us to the next level. Obviously, he's no Ellen DeGeneres, but still. <laughs> um, 
And I think my favorite sort of pseudo cameo in this movie is Sigourney Weaver. Yeah. Love, yes, I love, Weaver. I love how much Sigourney Weaver is mentioned in this we movie. We gotta go up here. Sigourney Weaver told us to. <laughs> now, I don't so want to spoil too much of the movie. I was about to say, I'm trying so hard not to spoil it because this isn't a full disclosure. Um, I will just say, the seashells, when they appear at the end, and that's all I'll say... It literally, I've teared up very few times in a movie theater, and that definitely got me because it's you realize what's coming immediately, and then even when it happens, it just totally like crushes your heart. Well, and as a new parent, especially, like Ugh. that ending really gets you in the feels because I can't, well, I don't want to spoil it, but yeah. if you're yeah, it has what, a lot of good sentimental very, ending. Yeah, very to sentimental it. and stuff. But I will say the only issue I have with the film really is the very the very end of the movie is a little ridiculous. Um, I mean, I know we're in a cartoon world and that fish are talking. All right, like I get that. That we've got we've got a, we've got to establish that we've got a septopus that that is literally walking in plain sight of all humans and never gets noticed. But to, to suggest that it's driving a truck down the road and into an ocean. It's a little ridiculous. I do like, though, that once the truck does, like, you know, go over the edge and everything, like, that's kind of when they, they start playing the slow music and everything. Like, so they kind of embrace it. But it's a, that's the only part of the ending I'll say. It's like, that was that was a little ridiculous, even for <laughs> even for this movie. But it, it's just wonderful. And the voice performances are so great. Um, every character works. And I kind of like that they shrunk it, shrunk the world a little bit by making it in this this water theme park because even though there's so many rooms and so many places we go in it, like it's still right there. It's all in one area so we don't have to worry about where we are and all that. Right. Um, you know, I yeah, I'm not gonna say the last part because it, it's the it's the stinger at the very end of the credits, and I I missed it. So, um. well, you know what's what's interesting is uh, the first movie was all about the journey, and it talked about uh, you know Marlin and Dory trying to find Nemo and having to go across the ocean yeah. and run into Crush. That's taken care of in like the first five minutes yeah. of this movie. Crush shows right. up and he's gone, man. And I love <laughs> it. And it's um, still great. <laughs> and so it was cool, like you said, to to bring that world into more of this aquatic theme park type place. Uh, it was a really, it's a really neat concept. Now it, it creates all those new problems too of how right. do the fish get around in this place? Like <laughs> exactly. And I, uh, I have read. Uh, get your comments on this. I have read that uh, it the script actually went into a a rewrite because of the documentary Blackfish coming out and oh. SeaWorld okay. getting really taken down for Blackfish. I mean, SeaWorld's suffering to this day. Yeah. Um, apparently the first draft of the script had this as a much more maniacal, evil-type place, uh, evil-type facility to try to push home that message of... You know, that's confinement of animals. We should, not, we should be setting you know, them all free uh-huh. into the exactly. ocean. So I'm kind of glad it didn't take that route. I am I too. too. Because I don't think that would have worked, really. I mean, like, look, essentially the film doesn't really have a villain. It doesn't. No, it doesn't have a villain at all. And it's just like... No. That that's a good thing because it's the not about is Dory's memory exactly. Right. And it, but it's like it's not about you know oh we have to escape these sharks or oh man is like pulling these fish out of the ocean don't they know it's somebody's son but it's like it, it's more about self discovery and you know taking a character that you thought was just a punchline and then turning her into this very real representation of what I'm sure a lot of people go through not just in terms of short term memory loss but any kind of disability in the real world exactly. and any kind of mental disability at all it's just it's really amazing like how you interact with these people and how you get them to do that and that they also have worth that they have amazing self worth and that that Dory essentially very trepid spoiler here finds her own way home without help is is kind of like the great representation of that in this movie and that's where once again pixar is the best at this they're the best at blending a message that is heartfelt that it doesn't beat you over the head but it also entertains you so that it gets you in there and that's art at its best and they're also the best at wrecking your soul. Wrecking your soul. Just absolutely just wrecking your soul. It. Just destroying your soul. I mean, I'm sorry, but in the first five the minutes when she's just, when, when baby Dory is just swimming around saying like, can you help me? Like, I was just like, I'll help you. I'll help you. Just, let's talk a little bit about the Pixar animation side of things and how everything looked. It, it's incredible that they were able to make Nemo seem so 
commonplace. Like you're underwater. How are you going to do the designs of these things underwater? Mm-hmm. You've got to mm-hmm. take that all into consideration. And I feel like the 15 years or whatever it's been since Nemo, the technology has just gotten that much better. I mean, yeah. it was all so clear and everything looked so pristine in that water environment mm-hmm. that uh, it really brought you into that environment, I thought. Absolutely. When I think I remember them saying that when they first did Nemo, that they're having a hard time figuring out how to do that underwater world with the different reflections and how light plays oh, yeah. differently down there and how to get that feel that you're actually underwater and you're not just in like a blue room. Yeah. Um, but you can really tell in this one that, you know, they have a good grasp on that now. And um, it was beautiful. It was yeah, really nicely I done. Was, I was struck. Sarah and I both were struck a couple of times with just how gorgeous, like, everything looked. And, and there was one part where, like, it was just literally a lot of seaweed just flowing down under the water. And I thought, my God, how long does it take to render and draw that kind of thing, even on a computer? It's just, it's amazing to me. And, yeah, like, the the look of these things, Dory doesn't feel like a you know, a, a fish character. She, she seems like just a normal character you would see in any movie and you're invested in her just as much as you are in, in a human character in any other movie. And it's, it's amazing how animation can do that. And, you know, it seems like Disney and Pixar, they just have that, they have that formula down where they, they know how to grab you quickly and how to also make you just really invest. And this movie is a great prime example of it. It absolutely deserves all the money it's made. Mm -hmm. Anything else that you wanted to mention about this movie before we move on a bit? Uh, no, like if it's probably out of theaters now. So once it comes out on DVD or on demand, which will probably be like next week. Yeah, probably something. next I mean, week. It's crazy um, how quickly. Probably Thanksgiving think, or uh, Christmas. Would I think be my Captain guess. America: Civil War comes out for my uh, birthday. Look at that! By the way, <laughs> Anna. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, it's it's just amazing. You have to see it. And if you're trepid, if you're doing anything, and plus, I will say this: this is one of the times when I think that the Academy needs a best voice acting category mm-hmm. because Ellen DeGeneres' work in this movie is so incredible. And I'm, and not just like, oh, it's good, oh, it makes you laugh. It's incredible acting, mm-hmm. um, especially just the part where she gets sucked out, of the, sucked out of the tube and she's in the ocean again. That's all I'll say about it. But the next two minutes of her just doing voice work is literally like it's akin with the best dramatic actors out there. So I really hope the Academy someday does a voice acting category or mocap or something like some kind of special voice acting Oscar. Yeah. They've got to, they've got to adapt a little bit in that particular, they, they hate animation (laughs) and uh, the fact like, I'll say it till I'm blue, blue in the face, inside out, not getting nominated That's, for best picture last travesty. year. Yeah. Absolutely travesty. ridiculous. So, um, but no, this is easily one of my favorite Pixar movies. It's not quite in like, I don't know if it's in my top five, just because there's been so many incredible Pixar movies, but they really nail this sequel thing, except for maybe one sequel. And that would be cars Two. And yeah, now, we're not talk uh, about the next, cars too. well, the next Pixar movie we're going to get is cars three. <sighs> John Lasseter uh, is going to make you like that. Probably he's there. I, hey, I liked the first cars. I, I really don't did. Like cars. I, don't. I liked the first cars. Like it had I'm a nice Larry feel the cable to it. guy. No. Oh no. I hate, I hated it. I did like George. Like, I like George Carlin in it, but you know, obviously we can't have him back. So yeah. And I, I like, you you know, I like the idea that was at least there in terms of that message of that movie, of course, was, you know, the small town versus big town vibe, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. these smaller communities still have lots to offer. So, I mean, but yeah, Cars 2 is just a mess. Ugh, it's so stupid. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I was just looking at the the Pixar releases coming out. We've got Cars 3 next year. Uh, Coco. Well, yeah, I, I think I think that's more of like a kind of a New Orleans vibe, if I if nice. I remember oh, right. Cool. But and then uh, exactly, of course, we get Toy Story Four, mm-hmm. the romantic really? comedy. Yeah, the romantic comedy. Apparently, they're pitching it as a romantic comedy. Who knows? Isn't it like Bo and and hmm. Woody or something? Or Woody I don't and know. I can't remember something like that. And huh. then uh, finally, <sighs> after so long, we finally get. The Incredibles, Incredibles 2. Too. Oh, so but outside of that, they haven't... The reason why I bring up these new releases is because they have not announced any other sequels, and they've actually made a point to say that they are not planning on uh, doing any additional sequels for a while. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're going to try to explore some uh, new properties. This so, is good. Keep yeah, going. I, I mean, it's a great they thing. did that with but Inside Out, that, and it hit yeah, it out of the park. So. true. I don't know if they'll be able to keep that only because... Uh, at some point, they're going to have to make a, a finding 
Hank or whatever, you know, <laughs> right. whatever it might be. I mean, this movie made so much money. There's no way that they can. And I, just I'm let with that you. Go. I would totally do a whole movie about Hank. I mean, the end oh, credits exactly. are great, like with him. Like, yep. it, it's really awesome. Yeah, absolutely. So we've now taken you through the, the spotlight of something that you should absolutely go see. But now let's talk about a classic Disney movie that we've all seen and loved for years. And a uh, particular reason why we're talking about this. Uh, we all have so many good friends in the Springfield area that do community theater mm-hmm. and uh, the best, one of the best community theaters in town. I don't want to start controversy by saying <laughs> the best Too late. Uh, <laughs> is definitely the Springfield Municipal Opera. So uh, I, we are getting excited for their production of the Little, the Mermaid. Little Mermaid, yeah, and it actually opens up this weekend, uh, and so it'll be occurring this Friday through Sunday, uh, and then also next week Wednesday through Sunday as well. So definitely go check out Little Mermaid. But yeah. what we're gonna do is talk a bit about the uh, classic movie, which really brought about that '90s renaissance for yeah. Disney animated. This films. was the beginning. This was it. So without this, we wouldn't maybe have gotten. Little Mer- or, uh, we wouldn't have gotten Beauty and the Beast and Lion King and so many of those great movies oh, we wouldn't have to, at all. to follow. So definitely uh, recommend checking it out at the Muni. But also let's talk and dive deep into, <laughs> let's go under the sea See what and you talk did about there. The Little Mermaid. Yeah, what year did Little Mermaid come out? 89, I believe. Yeah, I think it was 1989. It was like that, I'll pull that up, but it was the definitely the founding, it was the start of that uh, time where... Disney Animated Studios was headed by Michael Eisner. Uh, I'm sorry, not the Animated Studios, but all of Disney was headed by Michael Eisner, and they wanted to make an emphasis on mm. getting away from this thought of a dark, like black cauldron uh, yeah. type movie, and go more into these inspirational kids type tales. Because what Walt Disney did when he was doing all of his movies, essentially, he would just go to the fairy tales. And say, what fairy tales do my daughters really love? Mm-hmm. And that's what he adapted into movies. And of course, um, you know, he did that with yeah, with Snow Reason White, as like well. with all of that, but, uh, Cinderella, which and, was his favorite movie. Frozen, of course, is yeah. the Snow Queen. Well, so when we look at The Little Mermaid, that would be Hans Christian Andersen's The Little mm-hmm. Mermaid, which is also great. Which, by the um, way, kids, if you read that book thinking it's the movie, it definitely isn't. Yeah. So <laughs> be very careful. Of, uh, right? It takes a bit of artistic license with, uh, with yeah. those kind of things, definitely. So, But 1989's The Little Mermaid, what what was the first time, what's some major memories that you have about this movie, Jeremy? Um, being terrified of large Ursula. Um, <laughs> that scared the hell out of me. Um, and it, it's such an effective ending. No, well, uh, Look at how cute Pat Carroll is. Look at that. Look at that. Look at Ursula there. Oh, <laughs> look at this. She was she was charming. Look at, look at this little photo. Ooh, look at nice. that. In the Danny getting Thomas all, show. Yeah, getting all up on Danny Thomas there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now, this uh, this movie for me begins and ends with the songs. Um, I am a freak about Alan Menken, uh, the composer of this, and literally every other Disney song you love uh, that's not in The Lion King. And it's the, the music in this is so great like involving that broadway style of kind of showmanship along with whatever specific flair and time and setting that we're in so Mencken perfectly blended that caribbean style used a lot of the maracas and the marimbas and stuff like that and he really perfectly encapsulated you know what that sounds like what they would play if there was people under the sea living like that sounds exactly like the music they would play um and just just the the iconic nature of all of them i mean it's You've got Under the Sea, you've got Part of Your World, you got Kiss the Girl, like all these amazing songs that still stand the test of time in the Disney canon. Like those are still songs that everybody goes to and everybody loves. And of course, I believe Under the Sea won the Oscar that year. Uh-huh. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it's just it's just an amazingly well put together film. And you know the the characters. It, okay, like Eric is a little bit of a you know. Oh man, you know you saved my life, but you can't talk. You must not be her. You look just like her. <laughs> um, but you know it's stuff like that, which I guess I get. But you know it, it, Jody Benson's performance as Ariel mm-hmm. is so charming. It's so great. Her voice mm-hmm. is perfect for it. And honestly, I don't remember who played Ursula, but man, oh Pat man, Pat Carroll. Pat Carroll. That's We're right. Just we just about talked it. about it. Getting all up on <laughs> Danny Thomas. Um, <laughs> no, uh, amazing, amazing performance. Because if you like listening to Poor Unfortunate Souls, 
I mean, it's just that version of nothing else. Like, no, no offense to Sherry Renee Scott or anybody else who's done it professionally in recording. It's Pat Carroll's. That's it. There, there's no other version of Poor Unfortunate Soul. So I love this movie. I love it, too. I mean, of course, when I was little and I'd be swimming in the pool in the summer, you have to do that. Go up on the rock like Duh. Ariel does where you put your shoulders back <laughs> and your hair flows. I mean, so obviously we played Mermaid in the Pool a lot because of this movie. Uh, but I... I love, like Jeremy said, I love the music. That's my main draw to this, and it always has been. I like this story. And I think um, Ariel is a character that everybody can relate to, where she wants to be something she's not. Yeah. And she thinks she'll go to any length. Oh, yeah, that's fine. I'll do that to get my, my dream. And it's not really what she anticipated. Yeah. It's a lot different than what she thought and a lot scarier than what she thought. And I think that it's a relatable story. And so I think a lot of people can see that. I do think that... The part I don't like in the movie is when Ariel loses her voice because I think she uses loses a little bit of her strength as well. I think yeah. they make her a weaker character than she should be. Mm-hmm. So I don't like that part because I think that she should still... Oh, I feel like she loses part of herself, obviously, her voice. But <laughs> I mean, just part of her character too. And I... I um, I, I love the movie other than that. I think it's really well done and it's beautiful and... Mm. Who doesn't it's, love Little Flounder? Oh, a Little Flounder. <laughs> See, this was the one that I saw the least out of all of those amazing um, Disney kind of Renaissance 90s movies. Uh, I watched Aladdin until it went out of style. I, I watched <laughs> Beauty and the Beast so many times. I watched um, Lion King. I still watch Lion King as much as possible. So, yeah. uh, you know, this was the one that I watched the least, but it doesn't mean I didn't enjoy it a lot. Yeah. It was still a great film, and it... it, it um, really brought about that that spirit of ju- just that exuberance that you get as a kid watching a movie, and uh, it also had its really solemn moments in the movie too, like part of this world. I mean, that's a really complex thought and really complex song uh, that was actually almost cut from the film, which it, is just bonkers. It didn't I mean, do well with the preview audiences, and I guess that that shows you that maybe you shouldn't always focus on your preview audiences, right? <laughs> so, Suicide Squad. Um. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it slipped in there, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, it did. <laughs> uh, that's for you, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> so you know. It, it was just a, a great movie. I enjoyed every bit of it. It uh, the animation in it really still holds up. Oh yeah, and you know, mm-hmm. like you talk about, like I said, like Ursula growing at the end is so terrifying. It still is actually kind of. It's pretty intense for kids. I'm gonna say I'm pretty um, surprised that that's actually in the movie because of how yeah. scary it is. By the way, have we ever had another impaled death in a Disney movie? Because I think that might be the first and last. Ooh, one. I think you're right. <laughs> well, I mean, we can assume that Gaston was impaled. At I the would end assume. Of the yeah, there's a lot of spires <laughs> sure. on, that, on that castle. But that's you're right. That might be one of the only ones that they actually show. Yeah. And, which is well, pretty intense. And you know, like, yeah, I also want to call out uh, Sebastian. Uh, that was that's such a great character. Um, getting to sing both of those let's, songs. Uh, let's make yeah. sure we give it. Let's make sure we due. give the the actor the the credit he deserves. Um, God, he's so far down. There why he is, Samuel E. Wright. Man, why'd they put him so yeah, far down? God, on on. He's under Grimsby. Um, <laughs> and Scott. And seahorse. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, seahorse. Really? Come on, IMDb. Um, no, it, you know, like you get this, and plus, I'll give it this: like the the animation and like the the choreography of Under the Sea. Like when that song hits it, that's really where the the song or the movie gets going for me. Like even as cool as the shipwreck and the ship fire are and everything, when you see Under the Sea and just how all of it is there, and plus the late Howard Ashman, one of the best lyricists of all time. Uh, his lyrics and that are so witty, you know, the bass play the brass, you know, like all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I just just go read the lyrics to Under the Sea because they're so witty and they're so great. Um, but, you know, there's also like a bit of news about this, isn't there, Craig? Yes, yes. as of today, uh, it has been cons- confirmed that Alan Mankin and Lin-Manuel Miranda are going to be uh, penning some new songs for the live-action Little Mermaid set to come out in 2017. Ooh. Yeah, so well, it's 2018, 2018. Yeah, it would be 18. So that's their, that's Disney's next that uh, that's Disney's next live action adaptation. And so are they going to start the doing like yeah. a string of live actions because you have Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's Mermaid, that's a plan. And... I think Mulan is in development right now. Which by the cool. way, that's Dumbo. Dumbo. So with Tim Aww. Burton, um, I don't know how gonna <laughs> that'll be, be interesting. A live action <laughs> Dumbo. Johnny Depp is Dumbo. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but Helena yeah. Bonham Carter as Dumbo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
no, it's it's very interesting, and I'm going to be very interested to see because obviously, when you track Lin Manuel Miranda's music within the Heights and Hamilton, he can do that reggae type of Caribbean exactly. vibe. And obviously, Alan Menken is still brilliant because he just recently wrote all the music for Sausage Party, slightly different, <laughs> slightly different animated film Ooh. than what we talk about here. But he's obviously still writing amazing hits. I wrote all the stuff for Tangled. Um, there was one more that he wrote for recently. I can't remember, but. As far as I'm concerned, he should be writing every Disney film because you always get one song at least that is just so amazing. Just him and Robert and Kristen Anderson Lopez. That's all you need at Disney. And now Lin Manuel, Manuel Miranda. Why not? Let's just get yeah, a Pulitzer Prize winner in there. Man. They got him. And uh, this had to happen. We talked about Moana already. Yeah. Uh, we've got him in Little Mermaid, and then he's going to be playing the new character of Jack. In, in the Mary, Mary Poppins, Poppins return. sequel, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just incredible. They scooped that guy up. Well, quick. and I mean, like, and that had to happen a long time before Hamilton was a hit with this kind of stuff and with uh-huh. Moana. Like, you right. set that stuff up way in advance, so obviously they saw in the Heights and said, like, "Oh, we got to get this guy." And so it, it's amazing. And plus, like, I'm going to be interested to see how the live action works, especially if it's 2018. I believe they're planning the Splash uh, reboot, like a uh, remake for the oh, same wow. year. So it might be a Lots little interesting. Mermaid. Yeah. Well, what's interesting about that is we talked about uh, in Finding Nemo, they, they didn't know how to deal with the water as a, an element in their filmmaking. And that's going to be tenfold when you take it to a live action. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So, so it's going to be very interesting. And plus, you know, are we going to get anthrop- anthropomorphic crabs? Like, is it going to look like a person's face? Like, what you know, like what are we doing here? But uh, I don't know. I didn't think that they could pull off Jungle Book as well as they did. And, it's and that, a, was, that was incredible. that was incredible. Um, so yeah, obviously they can make animals talk now. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait for that live action Lion King. Uh, because Jungle Book made me excited for it. I mean, oh, yeah. they haven't announced it, but I imagine it will it's, be here it's at some coming. point. <laughs> and just remove the human element from they Jungle Book. shot the Book. Jungle Book on a soundstage. I mean, which is just stupid when you see the movie, uh, how far <laughs> the technology's absolutely come. Absolutely incredible. So uh, any final thoughts on The Little Mermaid? Yeah, I think they can always use mermaids and people will always go watch the films <laughs> <laughs> because I mean, people are obsessed with mermaids. But I mean, rightfully so. Uh, I think it's a good story. And I mean... King Triton, though, although he's pretty scary. He was, I remember being frightened of him when I was little. Um, but it definitely holds up as a good, <laughs> yeah, it holds up as a good memory, mostly because of everything else that was going on at the time when I watched the film. So um, I think it still holds up today. I think audiences still love the movie, and I think it's definitely one of those classics. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, yeah, just watch it. I mean, it still holds up. Everything's still very entertaining. Your kids are going to love it. Um, and, you know, if you want to see a cool adaptation, go out to the Muni and see the stage version because. It's cool. I mean, like, it, it's really cool how they do this stuff on stage. Um, Menken wrote new music for the stage version. So, like, and there's one song called If Only that's really fantastic. Um, yeah, just give it a try if you haven't. And if you and if you do know how great it is, watch it again. Because it's just, you, you, you can't not have fun with these things, especially if you grew up with them. Our good friend Craig Williams, uh, Craig Williams II, is yes, the uh, directing <laughs> this production. And, you know, he also designed the set. And any Disney musical in the hands of Craig, uh, and not me, of (laughs) the other way more talented Craig, uh, is just going to be incredibly done. So Mm -hmm. I highly suggest that you go, if you're in the Springfield area, Springfield, Illinois, that is, Yes. uh, Mm -hmm. not to confuse with Springfield. Sorry, international listeners, you probably can't get here, but... But uh, definitely go and check out The Little Mermaid at the Springfield Muni uh, coming up this weekend and next. Uh, $10 for a lawn seat for, for adults. Uh, you, can't you can't beat it. You can't beat the You price. really can't beat that. <laughs> There's probably going to be a lot of people there, so get there make early. sure to get there early and bring your fa- favorite beverage. If you've never been there, it's all BYOB, so That's go right. check it out. <laughs> so outside of that, I think we're... We've come to the end. Aww. Aww. We've come to the now end. Now it's time, time to say <laughs> goodbye. M I C K Y. Because we love you. So I mentioned at the beginning of this that we were going to maybe do this thing quarterly. I think it's become a monthly show. So probably I, I hope to uh, next month. I'm not sure what we'll do. There's so I did few get Disney a... news though, man. There's so little <laughs> right. Disney news that comes Nothing out. Nothing ever no, comes yeah. out from Disney. Um, but actually, Brandon Davis messaged me and said that he was on his way to see Pete's Dragon. So maybe we'll talk we'll about that. We'll need an update if, 
because I hear it's really good. I hear it's really yeah. good, and it made really not a lot of money. This yeah, not surprising. Weekend, Most good so, movies don't. But, um. uh, so we'll have to see, and uh, maybe we'll check that out and then get an update with Brandon next month. Definitely. But outside of that, please continue to support the show. Since I'm the host of the show, I get to pitch it over to Jeremy to do the plugs. What? <laughs> uh, yeah, so you can find us in a variety of places. Go to our brand new website, thefrontrowmoviereviews.com. Uh, it's a great new website where we update everything from box office uh, uh, estimates for the weekend. We give you the latest news. We do our podcast of the month. This month it is uh, Stuff You Should Know, which is a great podcast. As, as random as can be, but totally fascinating and entertaining. Um, but we also have a catalog of every show we've ever done, and you can just click on the uh, the image of it and listen to it immediately. Um, so get on there, and you can also send us messages through there or through our email at thefrontrowmoviereviews at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, search for The Front Row Movie Reviews, and, of course, you can follow us on Twitter at Front Row Reviews with a Z. Hashtag bring back the Z. I'm bringing it back. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And as Craig said, just, you know, to give you, you know, since we have missed a lot of full disclosures and some big movie releases this summer, we are going to try and retroactively do some of those. I know Sarah and I are going to be doing one on The Conjuring 2. Um, you know, we'll probably be doing one on Suicide Squad here pretty soon. So we're going to try and retroactively get that. Basically stealing what After the Hype is doing um, <laughs> right. for, for like a temporary two or three yeah, week span, you know, because bad. we want to get our thoughts out on some of those. But as as Craig said, just for me as well, thank you so much for sticking with us. We know we've been very busy, but we've also always just been overwhelmed by how much you guys love the show, and we want to keep giving you that content, and we can pledge to you we will be giving you that content as much as you love it and uh, as, as often as you like. So, uh, yeah, thanks again from all of us, and, uh, you know, let's, let's keep going strong. We, By the way, did you know, you probably didn't, um, with our last release of Double Indemnity, our classics, that was literally our 100th episode of the Whoa, Front Row Movie Reviews. That cool. was the 100th podcast that we have released that's crazy. That's a in lot. just We're over crazy. a year. We are crazy. But that was just there. And I was going to make a special announcement, but then I was on vacation. That means um, there's but, somewhere out in the inner tubes, there's over 100 inner hours tubes? of Man, more than that, yeah. Just smacking our gums. Yeah, just talking in front things. of a mic. <laughs> And of Scott hating DC, of, uh, of Sarah and I hating Independence Day. Of, uh, By the way, Tim had a little bit of concern with that podcast. Yeah. He uh, he didn't. He, he was okay with Independence we Day. We were resurgence. we we went and got some wine with him later. It, it was fine. Uh, we, we talked it over. Uh, but, but hey, like we said on that, if you loved it, great, great. All movie is subjective. Everything is great there. So, um, but yeah, just uh, uh, one hundred really awesome. episodes. Well, well, here's to uh, so this is episode one hundred and one. One hundred and one. Uh, we don't have any Dalmatians here to celebrate. Oh, oh, come on. That's a fail. That's a fail on my part. Um, Actually, Dalmatians are, are kind of dicks from what I hear. <laughs> yeah, like everybody nice. ran out and grabbed Dalmatians after that movie came out, and then they all realized how terrible of dogs yeah, they are. They're always riding on fire trucks thinking they're all high and mighty. I mean, come on now. Trying to put out fires? Yeah, what the hell? Come on. Who go does and, that? Go and lay down. Eat some food. <laughs> what else do dogs do? I don't know. <laughs> they don't even have... <laughs> They don't even have their spots when they're born. Yeah, what kind of dog are you? Yeah, come on. <laughs> well, I think we ought to wrap this thing up. So, uh, for the Front Row Movie Reviews, I am Craig McFarland. I'm Jeremy Geckner. And I'm Anna McFarland. And we will see you real soon in the front row. <laughs>